What's up, everybody? I'm here with Joe Mackey. I feel like the, the camera's That's right there. That's the camera. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the first time I saw your name, I thought it was Machi. A lot of people think that. M-A-C-H-I. What's that, Italian? Yeah. It's like uh, like Macchiato or Machiavelli. The C-H makes a K. <laughs> it's like my son's learning how to like read and spell now. So there's like little things like things like that. I have to be like, okay, that's going to sound like a K for Mackie. Yeah. And it's like, there's all these sounds we don't have letters for. Yeah. C-H. Yeah. Why isn't there a J? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be Joe Mandy one time, you know, Joe Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said, uh, I don't know if it was a tweet, but he goes, the alphabet, the letters in the alphabet are were randomly placed in that order. Sit on that for a minute. And then I was just like, it literally, I was almost like, ah! Because I was like, <laughs> imagine if it was like M-Q-A-B-H-J-Y. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, it is arbitrary. Uh, I, I know Joe Mandy well because there's been a number of occasions, well, there's been two occasions where we've gotten, uh, where he's gotten booked for gigs or I've gotten booked for gigs. And it was a mistake. Because they thought you were them. Yep. Joe, Joe Ma, uh, two syllables. Mandy? Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, book them. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell everyone your website and social media and uh, dates. JoeMackey.com. Uh, I am my uh, Twitter and is, is just Joe Mackey. And my Facebook and Instagram are Comedian Joe Mackey, M-A-C-H-I. I've got uh, uh, St. Louis. I'm, I'm working at the Funny Bone, the 16th, uh, 14th through 16th, ladies. Valentine's Day. Valentine's you know, with Maggie. You got to come out. I mean, you want to you want to bring up the heat. You know what a little I mean? bit in that. <laughs> it's going to be like nine and a half weeks, and then uh, at the end of the month, I'm at Buffalo Helium, uh, the 26th through 29th. Yes, you heard right, 29th. It's a leap year. I know, right? Yeah, got that extra day of February, dude. There's always I always am like, what the fuck? If if you told me tomorrow. Today's a Thursday. If you told me tomorrow's Sunday, I'd be like, okay. That's, that's do we even true. know if the 29th is anything? What are we even doing? I, I don't know. If I don't have something I have to be at, there are times when I'm like, what day is it? And I've been off by like calendar. I've been off by like three days yeah. and day of the week two. Yeah. That's hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to not, it's hard to think it's Tuesday when it's Friday. So if we didn't do leap year in 40 years, January 1st would really be January 10th. So it's going to take a couple hundred years, but then eventually I guess what would happen is you'd be summertime in January. Yeah. So whatever. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right math. People, I mean, noodle on that shit for a little bit. Um, Do you remember where we met? We met at the comic strip, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Doing late night after the regular shows where they would put the up-and-comers that they thought had some promise on. Yes. And those were good times. And how long have you been doing comedy? 14 years now. Okay, so 14 years. When we were doing that, I had been doing comedy six years or five years. So you were very you were newer to it. Yeah. I had already been doing it. And what would happen is the comic strip, they'd have their show that was booked. I had just moved there. So they're like, oh, yeah, you can come do the late night, which is exactly what you said. You'd hang out. You'd wait. And then you could like... I remember there were dudes on the early show showcasing from Montreal. I had already done Montreal, and I'm sitting there waiting. And I used to get so annoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember? I would just sit there, and I would, like, try and write. I'm like, what am I doing? This is, like, crazy. And I, like, as soon as I saw you, I'm like, this guy, I, I fell in love with your act. Oh, I remember. You were, you were so nice to me. You, you and uh, another comedian, Ryan Reese, were the first two working comics that uh, paid any attention to me. And that's... People are like, is it the hecklers? How do you do that? How do you stand up there? And I'm like, oh, no. It's getting anyone to care that is the hardest part yeah. of stand-up. Because you could be the funniest guy and move to New York or L.A. And it's going to be a couple of years now before you oh, get... Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember James Smith. Remember James? So funny. The Australian. Yeah, where is he now? I think he's back in Australia. Okay, yeah. So I think, too. We met in 2005 doing Montreal. So when I moved to New York, I looked him up. And, I mean, and like he took me out. And he was like, you know, it takes like two years. To actually get settled. You know what I mean? I can't do an Australian accent. That wasn't and, bad. Thanks. And uh, I left after a year and a half, so it didn't matter. But so I remember I moved back, you know what I mean? And this was like social media really wasn't happening. You know what I mean? I think Facebook had just started. It was still. Or Twitter had. I was still hearing that Dane Cook story about 
opening up AOL Instant Messenger and having a ton of messages from random people because that was the social media that he yeah he was doing in MySpace and stuff like that. And yeah, he tapped into that. Yeah, he like would respond to every single person on MySpace and that, just blew that up. That's crazy. And yeah. It just seems like every couple of years, a uh, social media platform becomes irrelevant. It's now to the point where I think even Facebook, it's mostly people's grandparents on, on that. Well, like even on Facebook now, like I have, you have a comedian page, you mm-hmm. have like a yep. performer page. And even when I make posts, right, it will only, it's not like it just goes to all those people. No, you have to like pay to promote to all those people, and you're like, "What is the?" I thought they were on here, and they're like, "No, it doesn't matter." It's not yeah. like Instagram, where like you know, I don't know who gets what. It's just, it's all lie. Their algorithm, if you've got say say you've got ten thousand fans, their algorithm is gonna show it to three thousand yeah. of those people if you're lucky, and then try and get you to pay to do the rest. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so what? I moved back to New York. I mean, from New York, and then like, I don't know if it was a late night set. You did a late night set before last comic or no? I did. I did the tonight sh- uh, late night with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, that's huh. what it was. And I remember like, because Kate and I, there are some comedians that Kate knows that like she loves and you're one of them. Oh, thank you. And it's not, for Kate, it's not just on stage, it's off stage. You know what I mean? Like today she goes, she goes, so you're recording today? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a quick solo by myself. And then I go, I have a guest. And she's like, who? And I go, one of your favorite people in the world. And she goes, who? I go, Joe Mackey. She goes, oh. Like she freaks out. Oh, dude. nice! And I almost wasn't gonna tell her so that you could just show up and she'd be like, "Oh my god!" But um, so then you were doing the Tonight Show and I, and I remember like freaking out. Do you remember? I I think I reached out and emailed you or Facebooked you and I was like, "Dude, I was so stoked to oh, see you done that." And then doing Last Comic. So here's my question: Even watching you back then, you always have like a nervous energy that comes off just as part of is that stage persona or is that real or like what is going on because i feel like last comic dude is like it was it's it's real it's just heightened uh it's heightened especially back then when i was newer at comedy yeah and uh i was so nervous doing the first late night spot because that's like the that's telling the world that you've arrived yeah and you're doing jimmy fallon yeah because you know how it is sometimes sometimes it's harder to get I'd say it's harder to get a middle booking at a club or to pass at a club than it is to get a late night spot. Yeah. But no one knows, nobody nobody in Pennsylvania knows that. Yeah. You know, so it's the thing that legitimizes you in other people's eyes. Yeah. And I was super nervous, but last comic standing, uh, it's just a pressure cooker. You have to be there at 7 a.m. and you don't go home till 11 and you're mic the entire time. And it's a lot of just frustrating waiting. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a competition. It's at the a end competition. Of the day. They want you to be. You, they want you to say, "I'm funnier than this person," and I don't like doing any of that. No. But the thing is, even when you're nervous about something, and they'll tell you this in a therapy, like, like usually cognitive behavior therapy, is exposing you to thing you're nervous about, time and time again, until you tire yourself out, being from being nervous. You really. Can, you can get used to being nervous to where you're not nervous, and by the end of last comics standing, Keenan Ivor Wayans actually said like. You know, I think you pull one over on me. You weren't. You were playing a character, and I was just like, "No, I've done this. This is like the seventh time I've been in a theater taping this show." Yeah, it, you can't have the same nerves you had on, on day one. No. Uh, how many show sets did you do? I think I did six sets, but and then how you long had was to, each one? Five minutes, which in a three month period to get to get six five minute sets approved for television, that was the hard part. It wasn't the material. It was yeah. yeah it was the wrangling with their legal and business affairs team yeah. that to say, oh, yeah, you can say that. And then they only pull from each one of those five-minute sets, like a minute, under a minute sometimes. If you're lucky, yeah. There were some comedians who... Uh, I know. I know How the, far did you go? I got. I finished fourth, so I got to the finals. Fourth. You want to get top five. That's right. Because that that's where the tour is. Yeah, Rodman won that year. You want to get top five because then you get to go to the tour, and I feel like you got such an opportunity to yeah. learn the business that way. Yeah. And... uh and it was you, Rodman, Lachlan, Lachlan Patterson, Nikki Carr, and Rocky Laporte. Rocky Laporte. Dude. Rocky Laporte is, uh, he's one of those guys that knows all the tricks. Of he's like, Joe, this is a casino, so here's how you want to approach this. Yeah. You got to be bigger. You know, Joe, it's a casino, so. <laughs> yeah. I did one weekend with him, and I remember, like, 
I remember like getting booked to do the weekend. I was featuring. He was headlining, and a manager hitting me up and being like, "You're working with Rocky Laporte this weekend." You, like this is a friend, not my manager. And they're like talking about how great he was, and I was like, "I've never even heard of Rocky Laporte." And then I just watched him mold that audience into whatever he wanted right here. And like he was just like endearing and warm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's another dude who just like. Like that simple life of being in Chicago, right? Chicago, yeah. and he like lives there, and he's always around his family. And it's tough to it's tough to be to stay in people's minds and not be in New York and L.A. It's probably a little easier than it used to be with social media, but still yeah. tough. And he's one of those guys to do it. And to loop back to how we met on late night, a lot of times you have to to succeed and stand up. You almost have to push someone out. Yeah, you, there, and at at. At the clubs back then, it was a lot of people who had been doing it a while, and they were comfortable booking and they were familiar with. But the better show was the young guys doing late night. Well, yeah, dude. I mean, right now at the comedy store, I see it. I'm like, I look at lineups when I put my veils and I don't get spots. I look at the lineups and I'm like, okay. I'm like, and I'll see what time slot I normally get. I'm like, oh, I got bumped out. I'm getting rep- if I don't keep doing stuff Mm -hmm. that spot i will lose that spot you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like i only get a certain amount of spots there anyway yeah you're just like oh okay like i get it you know what i mean even with netflix specials and not to harp on anyone in particular because i i think there's a lot of great ones but yeah sometimes when i see who got one uh it's frustrating because one i would like one so i full disclosure like it's just (laughs) i'm biased i admit that yeah but at the same time I don't necessarily think it's the funniest people. Yeah. It's the people who are known to the industry. Sometimes it's the safe choice. Yep. It's uh, yeah. the proven name. And uh, a lot of the times they're famous for other things. So Yeah, there's no algorithm for who gets picked for that. That's for damn sure. Right, right. I mean, at least at least from my experience. And in their defense, like I, I don't mean to harp on the name. But it's yeah. like that is a thankless job because people are going to be mad at you no matter, no matter what. what. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Oh, damn, that was something I was going to ask you about last comic. Oh, dude, Rodman. Mm-hmm. So I saw him. I did Montreal with him in 2005. I can't remember if he was on New Faces with me or if I just saw him at the festival. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't see him. Like, I did not see him in L.A. for years. And then one night I'm doing, like, the old improv lab, which was, like, it had this dark back row where you'd wait. And he's next to me, and I go, Rodman. He's like, yeah, I'm like... Dude, and I was like, I am such a huge fan, blah, blah. And he goes, Yeah, man, I remember we met in Montreal. And uh, so last night I was doing a show, and so, there was a comedian, and he was doing great. And I looked at someone, I'm like, You know who he reminds me of? And they go, Who? I go, Rodman, just like his cadence a little. And they're like, Yeah, because I wrote a joke one time that I thought would be hilarious for Rodman, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give it to you right now as Rodman. And it was, it was about going like uh, being bald. Like, can you grow a full beard? No. Okay, yeah. Very patchy. Yeah. Like, patch here, patch here. Yeah, yeah. it's bad. So, a lot of guys, you know, they can't, you know. And so, I thought it'd be funny if Robin was like, you know, uh, I found out recently I'm going bald in my face. I'm going bald in my face. You know, I can't grow no hair over here. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be bald in the face. Okay, I can get hair over here, but I can't get hair. Oh, I got to get bald in the face. And that was my Rodman. This is pretty good Rodman. Yeah. Sometimes people would like you know how people will sometimes write to you on social media, yeah. And some of it's a compliment, and some of it's an insult of someone else, and I I hate that. And sometimes people would write, "Why does Rodman repeat stuff?" And I'm like, he's he's doing what he should be doing because that's his thing. Plus, when you're in a when you come up writing telling jokes in a room full of drunk people, sometimes you repeat things out of necessity. Like people harp on Chris Rock for that. And yeah. it's like, well, he's coming up with a new idea, and he's asking people to think, and sometimes they're going to miss it if he doesn't say say it a couple times. Yeah. It's benefit. I mean, dude, I know there are times when I do stuff, and I'm like, why did they miss that? So then I'll repeat it, mm-hmm. and then they laugh, and I'm like, oh, they just didn't either hear or weren't paying attention. But Rodman, we, you and I were talking about like uniqueness in comedy, and I think that was his way of seeing things as funny. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. By repeating them and saying funny things and then just saying it like, I do a joke about getting tuna tartare with stale crostinis uh-huh. and I say crostini like 18 times and then I'll go, I know what you guys are thinking. How many times is he going to say crostinis? And I think that's the funniest thing. And I only say it that many times just so I can say that 
And I just, you know, it's maybe not the greatest joke in the world, but for me, it's funny because I'm almost like torturing them a little bit. I get pleasure out of that sometimes. Yeah. It's not about like being funny. It's about making them have to listen to something that I'm going to say to see if they catch on. Like every time I say Christina, like, are they going to like get like, Jesus Christ, how many fucking times, dude? There's a million ways to raise the tension. And that's that's one of them. And I I think it's sometimes I think joke writers like us will do better on a TV set than we might do in a club because because there's people who are drunk because they're not maybe they got a free free tickets and they're not that investment because I remember one time we were at the comic strip I don't know if you were there that night mm-hmm. but Ben Bailey closed the show and Ben is probably around six four yeah he's a big dude big dude and he's bald with a shaved head and at the time J.R. Ravitz was manager mm-hmm. of the strip He's about five, eight, and bald. And a guy was so drunk that he came out and he, he uh, said to Jr. That was so funny. He thought Jr. was Ben <laughs> Bailey, and it's like that's sometimes what you're dealing with. Yeah. And when people are like, "Why did you repeat that so many times?" It's like because it's these it's like the these guys are idiots. <laughs> my God, that's so crazy. Now wait. When we met, you were working at. Com- Remember, you were in accounting, weren't you? At Commerce I was working in human resources. At, human resources, at, which is similar to a, uh, accounting, because we would do the paperwork for and the payroll for all the shows. So sometimes I get paid. Like, say you were working on a show, I'd say, "Oh, Jay Larson, I've got your what they called a blue book." Yeah. At the time, and and uh, it was it was really cool to see people I know get work, but yeah. at the same time, it was just like, "Oh, damn, this is." How long did you work there? I worked there until I was a finalist on Last Comic Standing, till, until until uh, the summer of fourteen. Wow! Uh, so yeah, it's like uh, I wanted to be a full time comic, but people were like, "Why didn't you just go on the road after you did Late Night with Jimmy Fallon?" I'm like, "Oh, because nobody cares." Yeah, dude. I tr- after I did Montreal, I quit my job. Wow! And then two months later, I went back and said, "Can I get that job back?" Because I I couldn't. You just like what? You think things are going to open, and it's like, no, it's... I always admired people, like, doing what you did, keeping that job. Jamie Kaler was a buddy, and he kept his job. He was on a TV show, and he kept bartending one day a week. He's like, I'm just keeping it. You just never know. Smart, yeah. And I was like, man, that's like... that. You know what that is? That's like... That's throwing pride away, because for me, it was always a pride thing. No, I want to be a working comic. I'm a comedian. I was like, you know what? And it was like, it was... I let pride get in the way so many times when it could have just been like... Let me give you an example, dude. I golf with these guys last week, mm-hmm. and they are all older than me by 10 years, okay? All been working in this game for a long time. They all have kids in private school, and they're hustling to get in-town jobs because they know that, that that minimal amount for a one-nighter in town adds up. Yeah. And they were still hustling, and I was like, dude... It just like opened my eyes to be like, wake up, dude. Mm-hmm. Guys that are like established and are paying for private schools aren't passing on these gigs. Who are you to pass on them? Right. You know what I mean? Uh, that's why I, one of my beasts with a lot of younger comics right now is they'll complain to the – they'll have jokes about, oh, I owe money for college and I'm a comedian or my rent's expensive. And I'm like, you're right. It is. And healthcare costs too much. You're not wrong. But you're telling people in the audience – how unfair your life is when you're living your dream and they're going to work every day and like you're doing this amazing thing that they can't even fathom and uh to be like this isn't fair that i'm doing this and i'm like well maybe you should be getting maybe you should be driving uber do you look at it as a dream um when did you know you wanted to be a stand-up when i was a little kid i wanted to do it but it was like tough to how how did you at what age Oh, my dad. And who had were these, you watching? Oh, okay. Your my dad. dad had these this tape, and I listened to it. And I was like, "Who was it?" It was Jack Benny, and it Jack was so Benny. so dated now. Yeah, uh, but it was so cool to hear. Him. Like, I didn't even know why people made fun of their mother mother in laws. Yeah, I didn't get it. No, but it was so cool that that was a job. Well, you didn't get anything. Yeah, at a, as a kid, you just like. I remember the first time I heard sarcasm. My grandfather said something, and the whole room of adults laughed. And I just remember. I remember sitting on his lap, staring at his face blankly, being like, what is everyone laughing at? Yeah. Because it wasn't like, you know, when you're young, everything's so literal. And this was sarcasm is not literal. It's just like, and uh, so like, yeah, you're probably listening. Like, what was your fascination? I don't, I just the idea that you could come up with ideas 
and sit and talk to people and that and they would listen to you and laugh. It was so cool to me. And when I was in high school, I started to do some things at my youth group where you would get to perform. Yeah. And uh, college, I did some open mics and I was a real ham and egger. You, you know, go to Penn I, State? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it just... Uh, ham know and how, egger, dude. Jack Benny style, baby. Yeah. You know how... I, at college town open mics it, at the time it was people doing Dave Matthews covers yeah and like in between the, them setting it up and tearing down the guys like Joe come in and we'll let you do five minutes and it was just brutal and bad yeah and I was like I'm never gonna succeed doing that but I don't want to I don't want to go up there and talk about how hard my life is yeah because if I, it's it's a pet peeve of mine it's just people don't want to put the time in yeah and then they want to complain about how hard it is. I'm like, well, I worked a full-time job. So it, it wasn't fun going to the comic strip and wait until 1230 to maybe get five minutes or maybe maybe the guy before you walks the people. You oh, know? yeah. Well, first of all, when we would do it, the show would end and the audience would leave and then anyone who wanted to stick around. Yes. And they basically are setting you up to be like, all right, do you want to see the people who aren't to the yeah. what they deemed yep. the level of these other comics at that point, you know? Yeah crazy yeah and, and yeah then you had to like commute back you were in hoboken at the time Weehawken, yeah Weehawken, and they had to commute back and then probably just to go to sleep and wake up in probably five hours to go to work yeah and i'm just like you know if if i'm you know it's like having a raising a kid is probably harder than that though oh so i don't want to talk to them about the, yeah i don't know it's just it's a pet peeve because i i know i'm harping on this a bit but like sometimes people like like I just started doing comedy. Can I open for you? Yeah. I'm like, no. <laughs> Dude, you know what's crazy is like uh I never I've only asked one comic if I could open for him. Only one. Everyone else, I was just like, I don't I, I just assumed they would ask me. Right. You know what I mean? And usually that's what happens. I I guess you would think, but so I know other now like now that I headline, I have I've had a number of people ask me and and I remember on a number of occasions, every one of them I was friends with and I was like, yeah, man, if I can make it work, I'll make it work. Another one was like, I went and asked this dude. Uh, Caleb Sinem asked me if he could open for me in Portland. I was like, hell yeah, dude. I love that guy. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so it was great. And I don't do enough dates where I'm like, yeah, I can bring. But I always, if I'm doing it now, I ask because I want to have, I want to know what's going before me. And I want them to be in the same vein of comedy as me. Right. Not as much. It doesn't have to be the same topics. It doesn't have to be the same stuff. I just mean like, you get what I mean. I don't really need to explain that. I, I always say if you're doing a double feature, you don't show basic instinct and then up because one exactly. will ruin the other. And it's not that one is bad or one is good, although up is much better than basic instinct. <laughs> I think you can objectively say there's enough pro problems with the plot of basic instinct. But like... uh. It's not that one's better or worse. It's just that consistency in a show. Yeah. Like, uh, if you see me and you're like, oh, that's an okay looking dude. I wouldn't say he's ugly. But if you put Brad Pitt and then me, yeah. I'm going to look a lot uglier. Yeah, you yeah know? totally. It's, it matters a lot how, how you. So frame tell me a show. how that whole Fallon thing came out. I auditioned for just for, for laughs. Mm -hmm. And how I got that audition was Sam New York had auditions. I know they, like, uh, Dynasty Typewriter probably has nice. yeah. but a lot. They do a ton of auditions all over the country. They are great about watching people. But I wasn't someone who wasn't... I had no agent, no contacts. All I knew was that the manager of Stand Up New York used to work at the comic strip. And I was like, hey, is there any way you can get me on this? And he's like, oh, they book it. Uh, but there there might be a check spot. Yeah. So come in and I'll see if I can throw you on the check spot. And he, I did. And he did. And the guy who books it, Jeff Singer, went to the bathroom during the check spot, which is he had to go to the bathroom. I don't I'm not upset or no, mad course, or angry. But. but his assistant watched me and I did pretty good. And uh I guess he told him and uh then he like he agreed to see me next year. So next year I got God. to do it and uh A year, dude. Yeah. But, you know, when you're younger in comedy, that's not that long. And I no, thought, I know. I mean, I guess. It's just like yeah. um, I always – I just remember when I was like uh, – when I was doing all that, I was just like always like now, like now, yeah. now, now. How do I do it? To the point where I know for a fact I did Montreal way too early in my career. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Three and a half years, dude. I was three and a half years in and I'm like uh, – But you got it. 
I got it. You know, I just like, you know, I pushed and I was just like, no, I know. And I had good sets leading up to it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think I did well. It was just like uh, I definitely could have grown from waiting a couple of years. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I was six years in yeah. and uh, I, I thought I thought it was a good time. Yeah. I do. That's an interesting thing that you bring up because a lot of advice I got early on was don't let them see it too early. Yeah. And I thought. I thought that they have a point, but they're also, that's a bad trap to fall into because I know some people are like, don't let them see it. I'm, I'm not ready to be seen by them. Yeah. And they're still saying that. Like eight years later, yeah. it's like, uh, I believe that if you bomb in an audition, they're probably not going to remember it all that much. Yeah. Unless you really go down in flames. Or they have to have some knowledge of the business that yeah. you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I mean, who knows? I think whatever your path is going to be is your path is going to right. be. Right. So. Uh, so also, then the next year you got it, and then you got Fallon? Yeah, because it was the same people booking that. Oh, and yeah. uh, he said, you know, maybe in six months we're going to have you on Fallon. And then someone dropped out. And he's like, can you do that set you did the other night on on Fallon? And that was nine days after I auditioned that I got to do <laughs> oh, yeah. Fallon. That's the crazy thing. It's like if you – it's all because I bothered that one guy, did that check spot the yeah. year before that that opportunity. But wait out. a minute. I'm just remembering this now. You brought a beer on stage. Oh, that was on the Tonight Show. That was that was, I, that was late night. Yeah, that was uh, six months ago. That was just six months ago. Yeah, or no, no, that was actually that was a year ago. That was okay, December. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, I don't know why I said six months. It was December of yeah. What 18th. the what happened? How did that happen? Because it was you didn't mean to, right? No, the Booker was watching me. He's like, it's you so funny so that so funny, dude. He's like, it's so funny that you always hold a beer in your hand. Do you want to do that on stage? And I'm like, I would love to do that. And he's like, great. And I was like, I was like, okay, cool. And then so we we decided to pretend that it was just going to be an accident that I had it in my hand. Because uh-huh. anything that looks like my my problem with TV stand-up is it's so clean and polished. Yeah. And you don't get that sense that things are going wrong. Yeah. And I, that's the best part of comedy is when you're sitting on, when you go to a show and uh, you f- forget a line or someone shouts something out or drops a drink. It Variables. The, yeah. There's, what makes it so much more powerful is that this could go horribly wrong yeah, for you. Yeah, for sure. And it's awkward for you, and it's horrible for that audience to and see And there's a guy also bomb. no, everything, like, back to your last comic, everything's got to be pre approved. Everything has to be ready. Mm-hmm. And there's no crowd interaction. Like, when you're doing a set, if something's not the way you want, you'd be like, I get it, guys. And you can say something, you comment, but this is like, you have this amount of time. That's yeah. it. At a club, you can run the light if something comes up that you need to address. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's that ability to, to improvise that you just don't get on those shows. And yeah. there's the ability for things to go wrong, that they're going to make the show better. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, a million people have uh, been like, what, what happened with that beard? I'm like, oh, good. It made people like, that was something different. on So, a, yeah, what did you just was just said, like, yeah, go out with a beer. Yeah. And I was like, oops, should have left that backstage. Anything different. Anything different is good. Yeah. Did you make you feel more comfortable too? Because like you always perform that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and usually not with a beer. Usually with a soda water. I, <laughs> there are times when I will drink, and I've made that mistake of going on stage too drunk. Have you ever been drunk on stage for an hour? Uh yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's not. I've always gotten through it well. Yeah. But through the skin of my teeth, I'm. I, there's times where I'm like, did I repeat something? Oh yeah. So now I'm very careful about it. Yeah. Uh, I think the last time I did it, I was in Tampa at Side Splitters, and they do three shows on a Saturday. I had like one beer the first show, maybe two the second. Yeah. And then in between the second and the third, I think someone bought me a couple of shots, and then I went up with a beer, and I was like, "Oh, I'm pretty tipsy right yeah, now." For and sure. Yeah. I never. That was one thing I never did. First, I would never drink before shows. I'm like, I never wanted to have this idea that I had to have a drink before shows. Smart. And then I started like drinking like i went through a phase where i was drinking kettle one citron on the rocks that was like my drink of choice for like a year and a half two years or something and so i started getting to the point where i was like having one of those before i would go on and i loved it i was like loose and i was having fun and then i was like jesus what is what are we doing here and then so then i stopped that and uh then it would just be like a beer and now I haven't had a drink in 17 months. Wow. At, at, even not off stage, like in general. At all. Wow, cool. So now I'm not like ever having a drink 
anywhere in my life. And it was just like, uh, it made me way more sharp, even though I did a whole crowd work tour. Had I stopped drinking at that point? I guess I had. Um, and I think that's why I think that was an impetus to it, too. I'm like, well, if I'm going to be doing crowd work for the entire hour, I need to be able to, like, be sharp and be quick and respond and, like, remember. You know what I mean? You need all your senses to be yeah, at 100. Dude. Yeah, dude. I think that's what – I think was the Friday Late Shows that were – they're hammered. And to get on their level, I thought I, I needed it. And uh, I think it's a mistake because lately I've been doing without having a beer on the Friday Late Shows. Yeah. And it's it's the same. It's not any better or worse. I thought it was going to be better, but <laughs> if it's going to be good, if they're going to listen, they're going to listen. If they're not, yeah, you know, it's not that I had a beer's fault or help, you know. Yeah. So I talk a lot on this podcast about like simple things. What are you doing? What are you doing when you're not doing comedy? You have any simple hobbies or things that you uh, like to get into? Yeah, believe it or not, uh, not this past, not this January, but this past January, I caught this of all people, Arnold Schwarzenegger's speech. Uh huh. You know, you ever you ever that rabbit hole of YouTube where you start oh, on yeah. one thing and you, you don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah. And uh, he's saying, do th- do something for an hour in a day and imagine how good you'll be in a year. And I'm like, you know, I might not be able to sit down for an hour and do something, but mm-hmm. I'll do 15 minutes. So I'm like, I'm going to make sure I read for 15 minutes a day and play my guitar for 15 minutes. I hadn't picked up my guitar in a f- couple of years. Yeah. And I played a lot in high school. And uh, I, I've been doing that every day except for when I'm on the road because I don't bring my guitar. Yeah. And I read eight books last year and I play my guitar probably better than I played it in high school just because dope yeah and sometimes I'll do it more because that 15 minutes it's it's easy yeah I think that's the problem people would make they make it too big make it too big and then you're like those first four days of January you go to the gym for two hours yeah I can't sustain that but do a little thing and uh so I've been doing that a lot I fucking love so one of my life goals is to learn guitar cool and I've lately I've been thinking about it I'm like could I just do it now or do I have to I always think like oh when I get to the point where I'm like retired I can start like learning guitar and I'm like when do I do it you know what I mean like when could I just pick it up and I imagine I never even whoever looks at it like that 15 minutes a day for an entire year I mean, what does that give you? In a week, that gives you almost two hours a week. That's almost 100 hours. That's mm-hmm. like, imagine that all year. That's You don't even think of it like that. You'll know you'll know so much in a year just by playing 15 minutes. And with YouTube yeah. and the internet, there's so many resources that when I played in high school, I was buying books, books yeah. of tablature. And now you, you've got, like, I had to buy a guitar tuner. Yeah. And now you just go on the internet and type in guitar tuner and they'll... You know, they'll just, they'll have it played app, for right? you. Yeah, there's apps for it. It's a yeah. It's a great time to be a self teacher. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Do you ever think of doing comedy guitar jokes? I don't. I don't think so. But never say like, never. Because you're a joke writer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a joke writer. I'm always a storyteller and like scenarios. But you write yours are jokes. Yeah. You know, which I feel lends to like music. You know. It it does, but I'm of the opinion like. I've seen some guitar acts that are really great, and yeah. I've seen some where it's camouflage. Yeah. Where uh, these jokes aren't that great, but I'm playing chords underneath them, and people are like, "Oh, this is weird," and they get into the. At a certain point, they start laughing at how it's weird. Yeah. And like I, I'm, a, you know, Kiss didn't wear makeup and platform shoes because the songs were great. <laughs> and I, I, I just wanted to. I mean, I like World Without Heroes in Detroit Rock City, but as far as how successful they were, I, I, I just, I, I want it. I want to have as little inflection in the joke, as little, yeah, performance, just because it should be funny, yeah. just because you're saying it, yeah. Uh, so I want less is more, in my opinion. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I got to, I got to like, I got to move. I got to raise my voice. I got to do faces. Like I look at Bargazzi. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this guy's such a good writer. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Cadence in writing. Same with you. Your cadence is specific and your writing's great. My writing is like, oh, all right, what happened in the scenario? And then how do I make it funny? And that's why I have to like uh, add to it. You well, know what that, I mean? With that car where you got rear-ended, you made this one second thing into five minutes sure. with all that stuff. Yeah. And I don't, th- I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'd be like, this, this person rear-ended me. And then one liner, maybe. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, but where you act out how big your know, windshield that's... is and how, how much she has to see, and you've only got this little mirror. I can see. I can see you. How can you not? Yeah, see Yeah, totally. Um, but that's what's like. Uh, that's what's great about it is that we we all have different styles and different ways of going about it. When, can, I, can I bring in a Nate Bargatze story real quick? Of course. He did uh, something that taught me a lot about comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, Capone was headlining Caroline's and he canceled very last... Who's Capone? Uh, I don't know him personally. Oh, okay. He's a comedian uh, and he canceled pretty pretty late. So I think uh, maybe a day or two at most. Uh-huh. I think it was around Superstorm Sandy. That might have been why. And uh, they threw together a show and it was five quiet joke writers i believe adam newman was on it uh-huh myself uh and the was three nate co- on it nate was on it. he went last uh-huh i went fourth and i was the first guy to, to get some laughs because i i felt like i panted a little bit i went a little more high energy mm-hmm. not what i would normally do and then nate went on after me and he probably did about 20 minutes and the first five he got nothing no yeah. laughs just his very quiet and he just stayed in the pocket. And uh, at one point he said, I know this isn't going so well, but I just want you to know, I don't need this. Things are going really well for me. If you don't laugh, it's okay. And he just kept giving him a show. Yeah. And it just started to build. And by the end of his set, he was crushing. Yeah, dude. And I was like, I was like, oh, man, I feel like an asshole for pandering. Oh. Like, he... like. You should bomb sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's uh, if you play country to a to a rap audience, they're not going to like it, and that's well, fine. Not even that. You could be you could be the leading the all of Major League Baseball and hitting, and have the most home runs and the most RBIs, and be the number three hitter for the New York Yankees, playing at home to a sellout crowd, and you can go zero for four with four Ks. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. It's just. It's you're just not doing it from I feel like people look at like athletes as like, oh, you're playing a sport, whereas in comedy, it's like you're being you. Mm-hmm. So like if you tank, you take it so personal. Yeah. Whereas baseball, you're like, oh, that, that guy was better than me or I had an off day. You know what I mean? It's like you don't look at it that way. But yeah, you have to tank. You know yeah. What I mean? There's no way to. It's like it's like right now with my kids, like the big problem with everyone saying like why you don't give your kids everything is because. Then what do they ever like? That's called you know being entitled and being spoiled, and we have to like tell the kids like, nah, you don't get that. That's just right. You're just not doing that. It's sorry, or you're like not going to win every day. You know, not everything is always going to be the best way for you. You know, a lot of the kids that I you know I grew up with that were that aren't doing so well in life, they had the rich parents that gave them everything, and it's yeah, not a great not a great way to do it, dude. I was like. I didn't. I coached baseball. Didn't coach soccer. But like, if one of the assistant coach, there was two coaches. I was friends with both of them. If one day one was away and they're like, "Hey, would you like just work the sideline and like for substitutions?" I go, "Yeah." My son's five, right? Right. And there's a kid on the team who's really good, and he was out there and it was a free kick and he got right in front of the ball and the another parent from the other team was like refereeing and she's like, "Back it up! You're not being kind." Ooh. And. Yeah, the kid took it super personal and started crying and ran off the field. And I had to like put someone else in, and so he was like crying to his mother, uh-huh. which was like not a, he wasn't not being kind. He just was like he want he's a he's a good player, mm-hmm. and he was like oh he was just standing there like just tell him to back up. That's all. And uh, they don't know the rules. This clearly there's no throw-ins, you know, right, right. So the the kid's crying, and the he mo- wasn't being mean. No, he was not being no. Mean. But he was he took it so personal. Mm-hmm. And then he was saying to his mom, like, she's like, You gotta go back in the game, hon. And he's like, Is she gonna be in there? Is she gonna be out there? And she's like, No, she's not gonna be there. And she just kept telling him, We'll wait till she's not out there because they were like switching refs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then and I'm sitting there and I have to do the substitutions. And finally I just go, Hey Jack, here's the deal, man. In life, she is gonna be there. Mm-hmm. In your life, <laughs> this is what I said to a five year old. I go, In your life, <laughs> she will be there. Don't wait till she's not there. You go in and you do what you need to do. You know you weren't being unkind. You know you're a good player. She's always going to be in the way in life. And mm-hmm. the mother was like, yeah, honey. Oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, they waited till the she was out anyway, and then he went in. But I was just like, you know, like we have – not only do we not have to give people – our kids stuff but they also have to like see stuff and be like yeah i'm gonna go face it so, you gotta fail you yeah. gotta fail you gotta to get fail, better dude. what do you mean what are you gonna do yeah in comedy that's how you 
I, I tell people I failed so many times it doesn't hurt like it used to, and yeah. that's a great thing. God, when you, that's like country song. Yeah, when you, when you can bomb hard and be like, look, there's some bad days. Yeah, you know, you just hope that you're moving, you're moving upwards. Yeah, your your overall trajectory because yeah, it. I remember when I would bomb on late night, I, I might not go for a week or two. Yeah. Because it felt so bad back then. But Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, and you're sensitive, you're wide open, and you're like, you know, what's your goal? I mean, what do you, what do you, when you, so when you started doing stand up, were you like, I just want to tour as a stand up? Do you, do you like acting? Do you like write? I mean, what is it that you like the most? I love doing the stand up. Yeah, I love the love performance. Yeah. I love the writing jokes. And I always tell people, people are like, do you want to be a sitcom actor or movies? So I'm like, if I do that, that's great. Yeah. But my goal is to just be someone who can do stand up as a full time job. Yeah. Because I can, a lot of that stuff you get picked for, and even if you're a good stand up, you might not get picked for the special. You might not get picked. Of course. It might have everything to do with you. It might have nothing to do with you, and you can't control that. And I used to write goals. I'm like, do an hour special this year, and I'm like, oh, that's stupid. Yeah. All the goal I should write is write an hour of good material because I can't control that. And if I sit around. Getting mad or yeah. worrying that like this person didn't give me that, or at the end of the day, that I'm just gonna be some bitter yeah. old guy wondering yeah. why the world passed <laughs> me by. Where it's like, hey, struggling as a stand-up and getting getting enough work to get by is not a bad life, and yeah. I got nothing to complain about. No, for sure, it's definitely like especially with so much community around stand-up. Yeah, uh, do you cook? Uh I cook simple things like. I can make spaghetti and I can make steak and stuff like that. How do you that. make your steak? Uh, I put it in the broiler. Yeah. Just just like that. Nothing nothing yeah. fancy. Do you have a grill? Uh, I have a Foreman grill. Yeah. Sometimes I because you don't have a do you have a, a I have a full size kitchen. But uh, I mean, you don't have a deck. Do you have like a no, d- outdoor space? Yeah, no, that's I wish. Tough in the city. Yeah, you got to be rich to have that. I mean, kind of... yeah. What do you you see people when like in the city like have a little hibachi out on like the uh, fire escape? Yep. And you're like, man, you're committed. Yeah. You really want that food on that hibachi? It is nice though. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I got my foreman. I find they're great for grilled cheese. I know that's a weird thing for foreman girls. You're making but... like a panini, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but uh, I, I I keep it simple. Yeah. How about that form, dude? I remember when the remember when the foreman grill came out. Yeah. That's still cranking those out. Still cranking those out, and they're still. I think it's a good, good idea. You can't burn something on that. No, I guess they. I guess they offered it to Hulk Hogan, and he turned it down, and it was no way. Huge error. Huge. I might. I might be wrong on that. I've heard that. I. I should look on that internet. I should look on it because now I feel bad. Well, either way, if I've made Hulk Hogan look bad in any way, I apologize. Well, I'm looking at it differently. I thought George Foreman came up with that thing. I don't think so. I might be wrong on that but no dude you better be get this fact straight because if if, if this he invented correct, that i'm gonna reach out if he has an electrical engineering degree that i don't know about that he got in between the 68 olympics and winning the world title and the thriller and oh like, that was are you a big boxing fan i used to be i'm not anymore i don't follow football anymore because the same reason it's like i can't root for people when i know that they're getting brain damage so i just i feel bad about it yeah i mean football's crazy you know you know what bothers me the most what is that uh, I read I read an article about this Carnegie Mellon study that said it's the routine hits and the concussions and I feel like so it's it, not like giant hits it's just like the consistency of small little hits yeah they were saying colliding at the line it's it's like being in a 20 mile an hour car wreck and you might do that hundreds of times in yeah. in the in a year and it's oh, like easy it's just uh, the NFL I I feel it's a little bit like they're pushing it it's the concussions. And it seems like it's more than that, at least what we what we know so far. Yeah. And they're like, we got the concussion protocol, and it seems like they're saying one thing when it might be more. There might be more to it than that. Bro, I am gonna go on a limb and say they one hundred percent know. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, do you think Monsanto didn't know that they were killing people and just being like, well, it's more cost effective to just pay out the lawsuits than it is to like wipe the thing off the shelf. And it's the same thing with football. It's more cost effective to just like either wait and pay off like these class action or like create these things for these guys than it is to just like what make it flag football. Yeah. And it's uh, if we can deny it for another decade, that's billions and billions of dollars we make every year. Yeah. But the thing that bothers me is it can happen to high school kids. Oh, yeah. And then they get 
I always sometimes wonder, it's like, how many people hit their wife because they played football yeah. and their brains are screwed up? I don't know. I mean, it's something to think about. I, I can't blame most of that on that, but yeah. I'm sure it's happened. But I don't know. I, I know that's a negative tangent. I don't mean to. No, not at all, dude, because we talked a little bit about sports because you were a Pittsburgh guy. Pittsburgh? Yeah, Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, I I, and I, I don't want to name. I don't want to. Yeah, I love the Pirates. Yeah. Uh, they don't spend any money. They need to they get They just traded Starling Marte. They did. And they got. Isn't that guy a stud? He's great. Uh, he's 31. He's got a team-friendly contract. And they got two guys who are 19. Yeah. So it's going to be years before they make an impact. And when you trade a guy who's that good, you expect to have at least a guy who can step in and play games next year. Yeah. What what level are those other two guys? They're single A. Oh, so man. it's just... Why do they move, try and move Marte so bad? I don't know. I, the, I think the owners are like, we can make money without winning. Yeah. If we sell a million tickets or we sell two million tickets, we might make more money selling a million tickets paying nobody. Yeah. So I, I almost feel like if, if the Major League Baseball isn't going to get a salary cap, they need to get a salary minimum to prevent that kind of nonsense. Yeah, no kidding. Because I remember when the guys traded McCutcheon. I don't know what it is about the Pittsburgh Pirates, but they've always like kind of like had this like soft spot for me. Mm-hmm. I think it was that um, Ken Burns documentary on baseball when they highlighted that was it seventy eight with uh, was it Willie Stargell who when you the guys family, won the World Series? We are family. Yeah, that yeah, team. Yeah, yeah that was seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah. yeah. So I remember in that documentary, like they highlight what they call him. Was that Willie Stargell? Pops, yeah. Pops, yeah. yeah. They like I think it was like grandfather or something yep. like that. So I've always loved that team. And then when they built that new stadium, I've never been to it, but I've just seen it. And I remember being like, oh, man, that's the most beautiful. Like the bridges in the background. Oh, if you go to Pittsburgh I, and like I, I've been lucky to go to baseball stadiums and a, and a number of different yeah. places. But like it's it's the best. It's such a beautiful stadium. And what they've done with the little restaurants and bars around it's really cool and then you can they close the what's called the clemeni bridge roberto clemeni yeah. uh and you walk across from from downtown it's gorgeous it's so much fun they got people playing the the uh the trumpet as you yeah, cross dude. the bridge it's so much it's such a great so atmosphere. they close the whole bridge close the whole bridge on game days oh to, to have sick. you know to get you to walk across the bridge and it's yeah. sometimes that's my favorite part is walking there and walking back yeah that's the best like in fenway have you ever been to fenway i've never been to fenway yet oh, dude. Uh, are you playing go. boston this year i hope to uh i played laugh boston once and it was in the winter time so oh, i yeah. missed out yeah uh, yeah you got to go back and you yeah. got to go to fenway because it's like you're the a Boston best. guy, right? Yeah. Okay, right. That makes perfect sense. It's the best. And that's yeah. why like, I love small parks. Like, San Diego has a great park. I haven't been to San Francisco. And then, like, you know, all like it's kind of like this new thing. Like, they're building smaller parks and being like, let's just, you know, why make them huge? Like, college football stadiums are, like, the biggest stadiums in the country. No, like, no pro sports sees many as, like, Penn State. How many is that? Like, 110,000. 110,000. 110, it's crazy. And... I, I've read articles that the attendance has started to drop a little bit in college football. Yeah. Uh, I I feel bad because that's a big moneymaker for the other sports programs. Yeah. But it's it's insanity. I mean, you've got – I almost I, – I, the, the amount of when – you, when you have a night game in State College, the town I grew up in, yeah. which is where Penn State is – You've had people that have been tailgating since eight in the morning. Yeah, dude. And then there's the game at seven thirty at night, and when you see people leaving that game, it is scary. Yeah, it's like, like a thriller video. Fatigue and booze, and you got a lot of these guys. They're they partied hard in college, and now they're back, but they're kind of yeah. They're not in game shape, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and totally. it's just it's not a great place to be. Why did your parents live there? Did they work at the school? No. Um, my dad, my mom was a Catholic school teacher, mm-hmm. and you can do that job in a lot of different sure. places. But my dad was the manager of department stores, and uh, a lot of times it seems because this happened with the supermarket where I worked, they transfer people after a few years. I don't know why they they do that. To, yeah. To like they want you in the company, but they want different people to go to different places all the time. So he was getting tr- transferred a lot. So he ended up getting transferred to state college and uh, that was the last one we ended up just staying there and they kept what department kept store it was uh he worked for a bunch of different ones uh because they you know they either got bought yeah that kind of stuff uh and the last one was called gb's which was it stood for glosser brothers these people that own the chain uh-huh. and there used to be a lot more mid-sized regional department stores but walmart really 
put an end to most of those in Target. And uh, then it became this store called Value City. They bought out that one. He just worked for that one. After You know, he yeah. was, got hired to manage that one after that. So it was nice. I didn't have to move around as a kid. Did he ever work at a, La- a Lazarus department store? No, but he worked at, uh, I think he worked at Horns, which ended up get, getting bought by Lazarus, which ended up getting bought by Federated. Yeah. So, which ended up, which was the Macy's yeah. chain. And yeah. like, so it's like, kind of, you know. <laughs> so that book right there, mm-hmm. this is my friend's dad. Oh, hold on. Sorry, you guys. I remember that they had kind of an opulent store in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Anyway. I screwed it up. Look at the name. Robert Lazarus. Yeah. It's my buddy's dad. Oh, wow. So he started that business? No. That his... My friend's dad, his grandfather or uncles started it. Oh, they started like they sold uh they sold like uh horse saddles in Ohio in like the late 1700s and they were like doing leather goods, you know what I mean, and then just built and built and built until they had department stores. Oh right. So it was in his family forever and then his family created Federated which like was a conglomerate and then they got bought by Macy's or something like that. Yep. Crazy. It's crazy how most It's kind of like stand up in, in a way you know when you started and people would be like, oh, that's cool, but you kind of got that sense that they're rolling their eyes a little bit? Yeah. It seems like a crazy thing. Yeah. And that's how everything starts small. Every big idea started in a garage or in a bedroom because they hated their regular job or, you know. Yeah, of course. You have to find it. And that's the, the idea, back to the idea of like not spoiling people because you got to get creative and come from nothing. Like mm-hmm. if you want to try something, you don't need anything to do it. And you have to like let that pride down. I was talking about another one where I just some, a lot of times I just do this podcast solo and I'm like, I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm in a garage right now. You know what I mean? What's I make it look like a studio, but we're in a garage. You know what I mean? And that's where Marin started. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of things start with someone just being like, that's why my image was always George Foreman was like, how do I make this little grill? And I thought George Foreman was just tinkering around. And now oh, I hope I hope. I hope I was right. I hope that because I'd feel bad if I took that away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? Like if he was sitting there, you know, soldering, and I'm like, he didn't do that. I'd feel kind of. I just thought that's how celebrities endorse things. Yeah, no, of course. But that dude's crushed it. He must have got a percentage on that. He does, and he seems like a genuinely nice dude. Yeah, Uh, he's he's one of the lucky ones in boxing because you see what happened to Muhammad Ali, and you feel like, man, it's like. But, how, how are the other guys not walking around with? Yeah, but that Parkinson's. was Parkinson's. Was that Parkinson's directly from boxing? I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question. I don't know. If, I don't know how much you could tell if. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? But yeah. I can't imagine it helped. No, no, definitely not. Because you know, doesn't Michael J. Fox have Parkinson's? That's true. Maybe maybe it was all uh, you some know, genetics. But yeah. Again, you know, getting. The, I I'm not an expert in it. I don't know. No, I know. I'm a t- I'm a comedian, and I'm making my way. <laughs> Yeah, every every day you get to be a comedian is good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, do you keep you don't you have bad days though? Do you are you able to keep that perspective? I'm able to keep that perspective insofar as like nothing makes me want to stop. Be like you know maybe maybe it's time to hang them up. Maybe it's time to do. I I'm not even close to that point. Could it happen in ten years? Maybe because one of the things that you know when you're when you're being a comedian, especially in your twenties. Is uh, and uh, that was a long time ago for me. But like when your friends from high school, you know, they went to college and they now they're getting married and now they're living in a nice home in the suburbs, and you still feel like you're you're the guy with the roommate and the shitty car, and you're like <sighs> everything seems so immediate yeah. that your your failure seems so. I need to succeed right now, and things got to be great. And uh, that gets to you. But then you see, like, Jessica Kirsten getting a special yeah. now. And Gary Goldman, who I think is one of the best. Dude. Finally getting some due off that last special when all the other specials were great. Like, it's weird how they got kind of not missed because he was doing good. I mean, he was headlining yeah. clubs. But now he can head- sell out a club on a Tuesday. Yeah, and he can do theaters. And, yeah, Gary Goldman, that um – State abbreviation bit is like oh, one of goodness. the greatest thing. And I remember Gary when I first started doing stand up, him doing 
um, the Craig Kilborn when Craig Kilborn was doing Late Late, and I was doing this show at Dublin's, and I remember Gary Goldman came in and he had just done Kilborn. Okay, because that tape's around like five thirty six, and mm-hmm. then he was coming, and he was. I remember him standing at the bar with I think his manager, and I remember just being like, "How cool is that? You're leaving a taping of a TV show, probably went to dinner, and then you're coming to do a show that night." And I was just like, "Oh, that's like that's the that's the epitome. That's like the the how cool is that? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like after you did found, did you go out to dinner? Or did you do spots that night? What'd you do? I I went and watched it. With a couple of my friends from college, it was so satisfying to like. Where'd you watch it? Uh, in Hoboken at their apartment, and oh. it was so nice because they were such supportive friends. Yeah, you know, through the struggles, you know, you know when you do those bringer shows, that first I yeah. can only do two, I think, because you <laughs> ran, you run out of people real quick. Yeah, no kid. And they came to those, and those were brutal. And then it was nice to have that yeah. moment. And the next day, I did an open mic at Santa New York, and. You know, when I signed up, there were 14 people, and when I got on stage, there were two. And it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, this is... After this doing is, The Tonight Show? Yes. The, this, or not, the, the Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, okay. It's like, that's the epitome of stand-up. It's like, one day it's up, and the next day it's down, but you just hope that over time, yeah. it's like the stock market. It but just, what did you do most recently, the one you did in December? Oh, the one I did last Dece- uh, the December 4 last. It was... Uh, I actually watched that at the Comedy Cellar. Oh, God, that's and, the best. Yeah, it was just a fun night because uh, Amy Schumer was there. Yeah, and Michael Che and and Artie Lang was there, Ugh. and it felt like uh, there were all these big stars, but everyone watched the set. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Like because yeah, I'm coolest. not. Yeah. Yeah, that's the coolest. You feel like you're you feel like you're a real somebody. Yeah. Uh, even though those guys are household names. Yeah. But, uh, I did Corden in November. Oh, cool. And. My wife and I went, we went early and went to lunch and then went over, hung out, did Corden, and then we went home. We went home, put the kids to bed, like hung out, put the kids to bed. I'm pretty sure, I don't think we went out to dinner. And then I I was, I didn't even get to watch it. I was asleep by 10.30. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's what I'm saying is back then when I saw Gary, I'm like, oh, that's the best. And now it's just like um, I loved it. It was a different way to celebrate. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I also don't really have that like at the, the comp. I don't have a club like that here for me where I, like people would go nuts that I was on. They'd just be like, oh, you're on? That's cool. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I just uh, I'm a loner, dude. I'm a fucking lone wolf. I think if I lived out here, I would be too. Just it's geography, too. <laughs> geography does everything is so hard to get to and so far away and yeah you can do five spots in new york without breaking a sweat but here it's like i either just make it or i'm two hours early because <laughs> i'm I, early for everything dude i haven't figured out the traffic in the city yet like i haven't i don't care to i just look at stuff and i'm like all right if they're like jay you got to be here at three i'm like can you see if they can do two and they're like, yeah, okay, you can do two. I'm like, all right, perfect. And I leave it one no matter what. Mm-hmm. And if I'm early, I'll either get a coffee or I sit in my car or I go up early. And I'm like, hey, I'm here. Can they see me now? You know what I mean? And they're usually like, um, you know, you never know. But I just I cannot be late to things. I just can't. Yeah, I, I get it. Especially, especially when you're doing stand-up and they're like, where are you? It's the stress of that. Oh yeah, is not worth being late. No, I want to go. I want to feel the room. I want to see the room. I want to see what people are talking about. Like last night, I had a show, and they were like, "All right, yeah, call times eight thirty. Check in at like eight thirty. Show's gonna start between eight forty five and nine fifteen. And Kate was like traveling back, and I was like, "Yo, I I won't be able to get there till like nine thirty. Is that still cool?" And they're like, "Yeah, no problem." And I was like, "Okay, cool," because otherwise I would have just been like, I'd have to cancel if they were like, "Well, can you try and get here by nine I would be like. I can try, but it's not going to be worth like going crazy trying yeah. to, like, you know, I had to, my daughter was late the other day. We're trying to get to dance class, bro. And this chick's like high maintenance. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, let, we got to go. We got to go. And she's like, I need my slip. I'm like, you don't need anything. Let's go. And so I'm driving kind of fast. I got pulled over. I got a speeding ticket. Oh, rats. And my daughter the other day, she goes, remember when you got pulled over speeding there? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I do. Leave me alone. <laughs> She's always picking on me. Well, this is great, dude. Why don't you tell people one more time your uh, website and dates, where they can find you on social media? Sure. It's joemackey.com, spelled M-A-C-H-I. And I'm uh, on Twitter, at Joe Mackey. Uh, 
Facebook and Instagram, it's Comedian Joe Mackey. And I got St. Louis, the Funny Bone coming up. I got Buffalo coming up. I got a whole bunch of other dates. I'm heading to uh, Acme in Minneapolis. It's the first time I worked there. Oh, dude, you're going to love that. I've heard it's one of the best. Yeah. So I'm looking really looking forward to that. Been wanting to try that for a while. Yeah, and you'll be perfect there. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me, Jack. You got it, man. Love it. you, buddy. Great to have you. One of the best guys in comedy from the moment I, I started. See that? That's the truth right there. Thank you.